We have now finished all of the New Testament writings that were finished before the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. The only books that we have left to study in our uh, four-and-a-half-year journey would be 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which I believe were probably written in the 70s, maybe going into the 80s sometime, and the book of Revelation, which was written in the uh, second half of the 90s. I want to talk about the destruction of Jerusalem as a watershed event in the New Testament period. Uh, I'm particularly focused on the idea that Jesus predicted what would happen before, during, and after the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. Now, in order for me to do it, I think, in a proper fashion, I want us to do a quick survey of the interaction between the Jewish and Roman people in their history. Because I think all of that contributes to our appropriate understanding of exactly what happened in the 60s and 70s of that first century. So some of this stuff uh, you will have to do research on your own in order to uh, uh, discover it uh, in its detail. Uh, but uh, you can, um, I, I think I will also recommend uh, that you uh, pay particular attention to the first and second Maccabees and uh, the writings of Josephus in his Wars of the Jews and in the Antiquities of the Jews for all the things I'm about to cover. I know that's a really big assignment, uh, but I believe those materials are probably good secondary study material for those of us that are interested in Bible history. Okay, so with that background, uh, let's go ahead and get started. It's going to take us several sessions to get through this. Uh, let's see how far we get today. The relationship between the Jewish and Roman people started back in 160 BC when Judas Maccabee, the great hero of defending uh, the Jewish faith, sought out and gained a mutual assistance treaty with the Romans. And you can read about this in 1 Maccabees chapter 8. Uh, this treaty was ratified by the consuls and the senate of the uh, Roman people of that day, and uh, it was immediately put into effect, and, and the Romans were excited about uh, the possibilities that this treaty uh, brought to the forefront. Uh, now, the reason Judas was looking out for it is because he knew that the the Syrian Greeks that he was fighting against in Antiochus IV and, and Antiochus V uh, were enemies of the Jewish people as well. And so he sought uh, some sort of cooperative relationship. Uh, that mutual assistance pact was reaffirmed 
multiple times in the years that followed, uh, when one brother of Judas and then another, and then finally another, and then his sons after him, uh, became the leaders of the Jewish people. The first big hiccup that came in this mutual assistance pact was a pretty big one, and it happened in 63 BC. Now, the first century of the uh, pre-Jesus calendar uh, was one that was full of civil turmoil amongst the Roman people. And that needs to be understood. Uh, So they were not completely stable themselves at this time. Uh, But things had also degraded over the last hundred years amongst the Jewish people. Uh, They had started out being very religious uh, in their pursuits of the Hasmonean kingdom. But eventually, when you got to a man called Alexander Janaeus... It became more of uh, an expanding of the Jewish empire. And uh, that that eventually starts coming apart at the seams because it was all about who can be in charge. Uh, When Alexander Janaeus died, uh, his wife, Salome, took the throne for a bit. And then when she died, uh, her two sons, their two sons, began to bicker openly about who should be in leadership. The older one, who had the, uh, the heretical or the, uh, the hereditary right to the throne and the high priesthood, was named Hyrcanus. But the more aggressive younger brother, Aristobulus, would not leave things alone. And so eventually, uh, there is so much civil war going on between the two of them that they reached out to the Roman general Pompey, who was carrying out military operations in the region, and they invoked, both of them, Both of these Jewish guys invoked uh, the idea of the mutual uh, aggression pact or the mutual assistance pact, saying, you as a Roman have to come and help me against this usurper, against this troublemaker in the Jewish kingdom. And so Pompey did make promises that he would uh, resolve this issue, Uh, But before he could meet with them and actually do it, Aristobulus uh, made one more big attempt to seize power, and that kind of ticked Pompey off. And so Pompey comes, and he uses military force to dislodge uh, Aristobulus's supporters from Jerusalem and from the temple. Uh, That's all happening in 63. Uh, He then breaks down part of the wall of Jerusalem, which was something that Romans did to make uh, peoples that they were dealing with behave themselves. Uh, And then Pompey declared that Jerusalem was now tributary to the Roman Republic, 
that they had to pay money uh, into the Roman coffers, uh, and that Hyrcanus could be high priest, but he was not the official leader, uh, government-wise, of the Jewish people. That would now be a Roman prefect. And so that's all recorded in Antiquities of the Jews, chapter 14, and uh, Josephus, the author of that writing in the latter part of the first century A.D., complained greatly that these two brothers bickering ended the independence of the Jewish Hasmonean kingdom. But the story doesn't end there, because as I told you, uh, the Romans were in their own little turmoil, uh, and there was a civil war going on between Pompey and his supporters with a man by the name of Julius Caesar. And uh, in 49, Julius Caesar, as part of his fight against the Pompey faction, came to uh, Judea to thank the Jewish people for backing him up recently uh, in Egypt. Uh, and he restored the semi-independence of the Jewish nation. He, he still expected them to kick in money to uh, the Roman Republic, uh, but now he said, Hyrcanus, not only are you the high priest of the Jews, but the, the Roman people now recognize you as the ethnarch of the Jews. Uh, ethnarch meaning the leader or ruler of an ethnic group. Uh, it's in Roman circles, it was the next step down from king. Now, to reward uh, their hard work on behalf of Julius Caesar, uh, he awarded um, some of the leading Jewish people with Roman citizenship. And that included a man named Antipater, whose sons uh, included Herod, who comes into our story much more later. Uh, not only were these uh, men gifted with Roman citizenship, which was a big deal, uh, they were also granted permanent immunity from all personal taxes. And you should understand that is one of the big reasons why Herod the Great ends up being a, a, a very, very wealthy individual who's able to support all sorts of things out of his own pocket. Uh, one last thing, which, by the way, is recorded in Antiquities 14. Um, Julius Caesar made all sorts of declarations on behalf of the Roman Senate at this time uh, to uphold the special protections of the Jewish people due to their unique faith. Uh, that included some of these. Any taxes that were due from the Jewish kingdom or the Jewish ethnarchy uh, to Rome did not have to be paid in the seventh year of the Jewish cycle the so-called sabbatical year, because they didn't work that year. Uh, these also uh, said that Jewish people could not be forced to work on the Sabbath day. 
they could not be forced to violate any of their uh, religious um, uh, belief systems uh, when they were interacting with non-Jewish people. Uh, They could not be required to come to court on the Sabbath. In fact, they couldn't even be required to come to court on the afternoon leading up to the Sabbath, that is, Friday afternoon. Uh, So this should help you understand that at this point, 49 B.C., the Jewish people and the Roman people were in good standing with one another. They were allies, and uh, the Romans had great respect uh, under Julius Caesar for uh, Jewish sensitivities. Uh, In um, 44, of course, you know, Julius Caesar was assassinated, and there was a civil war that followed that. Uh, The Jewish people ended up, because of their treaty requirements, uh, having to support the assassin side of the war uh, because the assassins were in control of the eastern end of the Roman Republic. Uh, But after the war was finished, Herod and his father and his brother and Hyrcanus, the uh, ethnarch of the Jews, all apologized to uh, uh, Mark Anthony and Octavian Caesar, who was the nephew, the grandnephew of of the late Julius Caesar, for having to uh, be on the losing side of this most recent civil war. Uh, Well, Mark Anthony and Octavian forgave them for that because they were required because of uh, treaty law to do it. And besides, it was all the Brutus and Cassius, or, uh, uh, Cassius's fault anyway. And they were already dead and gone. Uh, and so in the process of Fort in 41, uh, Mark Anthony and Octavian Caesar uh, affirmed all of these same leadership roles. Hyrcanus was high priest and ethnarch, and uh, 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 Herod and his brother uh, were all... Um, Uh, still in their particular places of leadership. Then things went sideways. As soon as Mark Anthony had uh, left the region, um, and Octavian was also gone. By the way, Octavian, for those of you that do not know, his ultimate name will be Augustus Caesar. But at this time, he's Octavian. Uh, So after they'd all gotten out of the region... Uh, In 40 B.C., the next usurper in the parallel line of uh, Jewish claimants to the Hasmonean kingdom um, got some Parthian mercenaries out of Mesopotamia and came to Jerusalem uh, with the intention of taking over. Uh, in fact, uh, this, this man um, greeted Hyrcanus, the high priest, uh, you know, did the little double uh, sideways kiss, you know, cheek-cheek, uh, and he used that greeting in order to bite off the lobe of Hyrcanus's ear. And uh, the reason he did this was because that way Hyrcanus was now not 
able to serve as high priest because your body has to be 100% intact to be a high priest. And so once this guy, Antigonus, uh, took over, and by the way, he also captured and did horrible things uh, to Herod's brother, uh, Phasaelus, um, he, he basically declared himself the new king of the Jews with Parthian support. Now, Herod had barely escaped all of this, and uh, he went on a long little trip, a long trip that eventually took him uh, to Rome, and he found Mark Anthony, he found Octavian, and insisted uh, that they bring the Senate on board with declaring war against Antigonus as a usurper. So he was basically invoking uh, the treaty uh, that had been in place for uh, 120 years. Well, uh, Mark Anthony and Octavian did not feel comfortable, I think, with the idea of a young teenager becoming the new um, uh, ethnarch of the Jews, because that's who would have come to power. So they said to the Senate, you need to declare our friend Herod the king of the Jews. And so that all happened in 40 BC. Uh, And so that's why we've got this really tight relationship between Herod and uh, the leadership of what's soon to become the Roman Empire. Right now, it's still the late Republic. Uh, In uh, the next couple of years, uh, Herod went back to uh, Israel, back to uh, the kingdom of Judah, or the ethnarchy of Judah, uh, and uh, with the assistance of Romans, took the city of Jerusalem. Uh, back from the usurper and chased the Parthians off. Uh, Herod then marries his fiancée, who was the Hasmonean princess, uh, the, the last remaining line of the, of the Hasmonean kingdom, uh, and uh, begins functioning as the appointed king of the Jews. Not long after that, He was uh, wrangled into declaring his teenage brother-in-law, his wife's brother, uh, to be the high priest, which is a thing in and of itself. To be 17, 18 years of age and be declared high priest doesn't seem reasonable, but it happened. Uh, And he went, that is the high priest, the new high priest, went to the temple and was acclaimed marvelously by the crowds. The people just loved him to pieces. Uh, We know that he was a very handsome young man, uh, and uh, we know that they probably had in mind eventually he should become the king of the Jews. Well, soon after that, uh, he drowned in a swimming pool accident at Jericho. Uh, Now, Josephus and others accuse Herod of plotting against him, uh, which may very well be the case. Uh, But once that young man was dead, only the children that Herod had with Miriamne would carry the bloodline of the Hasmoneans. 
only they would have a legitimate right to the Hasmonean throne, and that will be important later in our review. Now, Herod had all sorts of problems in those first 10 years that he was there at Jerusalem as the king of the Jews. I'm not going to go over all of those because they don't really relate to the, the Roman side of the story. The next part of the Roman side of the story happens in 27 BC. That's when the Senate declares Octavian to be Augustus and the first man of the Roman Empire. Uh, basically, he becomes the first Roman emperor, legitimately, by senatorial uh, declaration. Uh, and he is granted um, this power in, in five-year increments, and that will be important. Uh, Herod, upon learning that his, his friend, his patron, was now the number one guy in the Roman Empire uh, came up with ideas of of highlighting his friend in that role. And so Herod decides that every five years when Augustus uh, has a renewal of his power, he's going to have international games in Judea, near the coast, and at Jerusalem itself. And so he starts building all sorts of venues for that, uh, arenas and uh, hippodromes, that is, horse racing tracks and, and stadiums for running and, and theaters uh, for poetry and music and drama contests. Uh, and so he has all of that finished by 22 B.C., when his first Augustus games took place. And he had competitors from all over the Roman Empire and beyond coming and competing in those games. Um, and that gives you some sense already, I hope, that far from being a backwater in the Roman world, Judea under Herod was becoming one of the premier uh, destinations in the Roman uh, Empire. Uh, and uh, Herod was the great patron of bringing people into his kingdom to see grand things there. Uh, now, he probably ran into some logistical problems getting all those visitors in and out, uh, so it, it was in that year that he decided to build a modern port, a modern port city that re would rival the port that was servicing Athens. And so uh, this city will eventually be called Caesarea or Caesarea when we soften that first C. Um, now, while that's all being worked on, uh, in 20 B.C., uh, Herod, uh, Augustus visits the Middle East, and he gives Herod authority over even more regions, uh, so that he is now ruling over most of the boundaries of the former Hasmonean kingdom. Uh, and uh, uh, I, I've always said at this point in 20 BC, for all practical purposes, Herod was now the third most powerful person in the empire. 
And when you read Josephus at this point in the story, he even says that Agrippa, the right-hand man to Augustus, uh, those two were the number one and two people in the Roman uh, Empire at the time. And they said to each other that Herod's kingdom was not nearly big enough for what he could do. And so that's why they keep giving him more and more. Um, and so Herod in 20 BC, you know, riding on this crest of, um, of empirical or, you know, empire um, attention, he went to the Jewish people and said, this temple that was built by Zerubbabel, when our ancestors came back to this land, is not nearly grand enough for the God we serve. If you will let me, I will pay to renovate it into a grand structure to give glory to God. Uh, and uh, he, he even promised uh, the people that he would not allow uh, any type of, of renovation of the shrine building itself. That is the the core part, the holy place where the priests do their daily activity and the Holy of Holies. Uh, he would not allow that to start being worked on until all the materials were in place on the Temple Mount, ready to go, and that he trained priests to do masonry and whatever else was required to do the actual building so that no one but priests would touch the shrine building construction. And uh, with those promises in place, uh, the Jewish people allowed him to do it. And by 18 BC, the shrine building with its 180-foot tower on the front uh, were completed. Uh, and that had a uh, little time to spare before before. Uh, the second running of the Augustus Games that happened in 17 BC. Uh, and then, after that, as we're kind of winding down today, uh, Herod had a major expansion of the Temple Mount. I'm talking about major, major. So that a couple of hundred thousand people would be able to gather at one time uh, in the complex. Uh, and so he began that building project uh, and focused on the finishing of the uh, port at Caesarea. And all of that was finished by 12 BC. And that's where we'll pick up our story next time we get together here on Into the Word. <music>